The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. It's time for a different take on spirituality for the modern world. Welcome to Big Universe with Jim Lefter and Reverend Raymond Anderson. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm Jim Lefter, kind of a spiritual journeyman kind of guy, a media producer. I run a website with online courses called youthrivehere.com, and I am here with a special guest host today, spiritual rebel and Jedi master. Sarah Bowen. Hi, Sarah. How are you today? Hey, Jim. You're overselling me with the Jedi Master, but but I appreciate it. Let me ask you a question <laughs> about that. Are there, um, like, do you have, like, the belts, like, orange belts and yellow belts and stuff as far as uh, Jedi Masters are concerned? Well, you know, I'm Leia-inspired, so it's always a white belt. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, Sarah is the author of Spiritual Rebel, a positively addictive guide to finding deeper perspective and higher purpose. So how exactly did I convince you to, uh, did I persuade you to join me here? What the heck? (laughs) Well, when my book came out last June, we had a really great time talking about it. And then I showed up in Baltimore for a book fest and there you were in a Star Wars shirt and I was in. (laughs) So I think think we have a lot in common, a love of spirituality, a love of science fiction, a love of banter, and I'm so excited to join you today and see what happens. Well, it's awesome to have you. I do have another question for you. You are an animal chaplain, right? I am. So I picture you in kind of a Disney movie, kind of Snow White, Mary Poppins thing with all the animals around you and birds floating with the house with you and your husband. Is Is that a reality for you? Well, that's very sweet. <laughs> um, I'm a little, I'm a little more, uh, I'm a little more masculine to myself, I suppose, than many of the Disney ladies do. Uh, so I would be out there, not in the flowing dress, but in my uh, my blue jeans, my heavy boots, full of dirt, and uh, running around with critters. So it would be <laughs> a little more wild, I think, than than the Disney version of it. Uh, but it is wonderful. We live in the Hudson Valley, and so even here you know, during this time of, of homebound quarantine, I'm visited by hawks and vultures and squirrels. It's, um, it's a big universe, isn't it, Jim? It is. It certainly is. Speaking of which, speaking of which, you are a nerd like me. I know that. And I have watched Star Trek Picard. Have you started watching that yet? So I just started watching it because when it came out, I was all Mandalorian addicted, right? Because of the <laughs> Star Wars side. Um, but I just started watching Picard last night, watched the first two episodes, and I love it. What did you think about it? 
Oh, I think it's awesome. And as you move along in the series, it's going to be even more, you know, it's more intriguing. It's very much about what is, what is life? What do you consider life? And what do you consider as um, who you are? And I, you know, it's, it's kind of dark in a lot of, in, in more ways than a lot of Star Trek has been, but it's, it's really interesting. I think you're going to really enjoy it. I, I like, I got the same first hit from it. The idea of um, what is life and also how far do we extend compassion, right? You know, there's not, no spoiler alerts here, but there, you know, there, there's comments about synthetics, about androids, about holograms, you know, how far do we extend our compassion? And I think that's really important right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So Raymond and I had a running battle. It was a heart-filled war of quotes. And I know that sounds uh, contradictory, but <laughs> I want to see what you got. Um, oh, I, and I've been following your battle. So I picked a quote today uh, that is also a little inspired by our uh, guest today. So here it goes. Our life is shaped by our mind. We become what we think. Joy follows a pure thought, like a shadow that never leaves. Ooh, I like that. Who's that from? That's the Buddha from the Dhammapada. Wow, he's a pretty cool dude. He is a pretty cool dude. You know, I, I like to say when I was a kid, uh, I was given Yoda. And then when I grew up, they gave me Buddha. <laughs> well, I like that. All right. Audience, here's mine. There's a vitality, a life force, an energy, a quickening that is translated through you into action. And because there is only of you, one of you in all time, this expression is unique. And if you block it, it will never exist through any other medium and will be lost. Wow, I like that you got force in there. Oh, that, yeah, I didn't even notice that. And that that's is, wonderful. Now that that that's got a definitely got a new thought flavor to it. Who who are you quoting there? Uh, that's Martha Graham, the uh, the dancer and choreographer. Ah, is that right? Yeah, isn't that awesome? That is awesome. Would you read the first sentence of that again? There is a vitality, a life force, an energy, a quickening that is translated through you into action, and because there's only one of you in all time. This is, expression is unique. Oh, I love that. Yeah, very cool. All right, well, audience, you're going to have to tell us who won that battle of the quotes. Um, I think that maybe Sarah did, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to tilt the boat there. You, you tell us. <laughs> I'm going to get my social media forces out there, Jim, and we are we're going to go at this one. Oh no! <laughs> All right, Sarah. Well, um, we're going to jump into the episode now. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay, great. Here's Melissa and Z from OhMyGodLife.com with a segment. Hello. Hello. My name is Melissa Felipe. And my name is Z Egloff. And today we're going to talk to you about inner wisdom. Now, don't you think if you're really a wise person, you shouldn't be talking about wisdom? Like you shouldn't be saying you're wise? Actually, I noticed that the most wise people I know don't ever say they're wise. Yeah, so I think that Other tells you... Other people say they're wise. I think that tells you something about us that we're going to be talking about <laughs> wisdom now. <laughs> but we didn't say that we're wise. Okay. All right. Okay. We're just sharing... Mm -hmm. We're going to share a little something. All right. So I will say this. When I 
first discovered the spiritual path, I thought that connection to inner wisdom was something only other people could do. Gurus or woo-woo people or something. Mm -hmm. It seemed like it was not accessible to me. Now, yeah. that's not actually true because I did have access to my intuition. I just didn't call it that. Mm -hmm. um, I had, you know, from the time I was 16 on, I thought something was going to happen when I turned 23. I just knew that mm -hmm. number, 23, big number. I thought, am I going to die when I turn 23? And well, then, sure enough, a month after I turned 23, I had a spiritual awakening. And kind of that old part of me did die. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I knew that. Yeah. And I can look back and go, oh, see, inner wisdom. I actually <laughs> had it. But at the time when I first had that spiritual awakening, I thought, oh, you know, only other people have this. So I would use, mm, call them training wheels, oracles, I Ching, Tarot, things like that. Great things. Mm -hmm. Yes. Very helpful things. Yeah. And that actually helped me see over time, like, oh, I got this advice or information and that rang true for me and that didn't i know and so i kind of learned i started to learn well what's my inner knowing and what's my crazy egoic voice telling me stuff that's not at all true right mm -hmm. takes a while <laughs> to learn the difference yeah between those two totally and now when i um, participate in oracle activity for example we had a, you and I had a tarot reading recently yep. that was wonderful Fabulous. and great. And entertaining. And very entertaining. And now I will not just swallow it all, right? Mm -hmm. There's like, oh, well, that one thing that they said actually doesn't ring true for me. Mm -hmm. Because now I have that, my own inter, inner um, compass and resource and connection to that intuition that tells me what to say or not say or do or not do in any given moment. And the older I get the more refined that becomes, which is really wonderful. It is wonderful. I mean, it really helps helps know, helps know me navigate this world, which yeah. can sometimes feel crazy. Yeah. So that's what I was going to say, too, is that for me, it's been all about cultivating that relationship with that inner knowing self. And like any relationship, the way that we do that is through communication, two-way communication. So asking for guidance and trusting that what I'm hearing is that guidance and, and through time that communication and time, right? You spend time over the course of time and build intimacy like in any relationship so that we can then recognize that voice more and more clearly like what you're saying so that you can say, oh, the, here's this now outside voice telling me you know, what it's mine to do and not do or whatever. And I know that's not true for me. So it's that cultivation that, and for me, there's nothing like meditation for that meditation. There's just, yeah, it's just the best thing. It is. It is yeah. the best. And then asking, you know, asking for knowing, like asking for answers, asking for answers that we want the answer to. Not just like, what's wrong with me that, but actually like, how is the best way for me to blah, 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 whatever that might be. So that's that trusting that inner self. We go grow in our trust as we practice the whole communication process. I know too, just setting that intention, right? Setting the intention to have a closer relationship yes. with one's intuition slash inner wisdom slash whatever you want to yes. call it. Harry, I want a, yeah. I want a closer relationship Martin. with Martin. Yeah, yeah, whatever it is. 
that is huge, it right? Is, yeah, and I, it has and to I start know there. that that's something for us. Even in these last few years, we have set more of an intention more for that, and, and it has radically changed our lives in that yes, way. Absolutely, yeah. Everything has to start with that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So that's it for us for today. We are Melissa and Z with Oh My God Life. To find out more about us and our work, videos, music, classes, and more, please go to Oh, oh My God Life. Life. Dot com. <laughs> Bye. Bye. He's back. Here's Reverend Raymond Anderson with Raymond's Corner. The idea of inner wisdom is simply the idea of connecting to the capital S self, the self that never changes, the I am that I am. So when we tune in and tap into that, then the wisdom of the universe, the wisdom of creation, we recognize not as it being a separate wisdom to attain or to seek, but simply the innate wisdom, the intuition, the divine awakening of the truth of our being. One of the things we say in CSL is that we believe in the direct revelation of truth through our intuitive and spiritual nature, and that anyone may become a revealer of truth who lives in close contact with that indwelling divinity, that indwelling God. So when we recognize that what it is we are, then the wisdom of it simply becomes ours. And now it's time for our interview. At the age of 14, Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. apprenticed to his father, Don Miguel Sr., and his grandmother, Madre Sarita. Through interpreting for Madre Sarita, Don Miguel Jr. came to understand the power of faith. When he reached his mid-20s, his father intensified his training. He's taken the lessons of his father and grandmother and discovered his own personal freedom. He's the author of so many books, The Five Levels of Attachment, Living a Life of Awareness, The Mastery of Self, and the Don Miguel Ruiz Ruiz's Little Book of Wisdom. He's also co-authored the book, The Seven Secrets to Healthy, Happy Relationships with his dear friend, Heather Ash Amara. As an aguo, he now helps others discover optimal physical and spiritual health so that they may achieve their own personal freedom. Don Miguel, it's a true pleasure to have you on Big Universe. Thank you for coming. Oh, thank you so much, Reverend Raymond. Thank you so much for having me on your program. Thank you, Sarah, as well. Well, this is Jim, and my first question to you is... Hi, Jim. The first question to you is, and this is a very complicated one, um, what is the Ruiz family doing now that you're all together in the house? Is it, uh, Are you playing Monopoly or something? Uh, yeah, well, in the house right now, my, it's my kids and my wife and I, so it's four of us, plus the dogs. And... Uh, yeah, we've been playing Monopoly. At, at the beginning of the quarantine or, or the social distancing, we were in San Diego and we were with my dad and his girlfriend. So we were playing a lot of games. We actually got into a game called uh, Paranormal Detective. That that was the, the hit, you know, that, that we, we played that quite a bit. It reminds me a little bit of Dungeons and Dragons, but not so uh, comp- complicated. So when we back, got back home to Reno, Nevada, where we live now, it's been, you know, the, having the kids in their rooms and all that kind of thing has been good. You know, the, the only downside, we just had a little bit of a water issue with our house. My son flooded the, the, the bathroom with a bath, 
uh, with a bath water. Oh no! We had to take care of that. My son has autism, so it's it's mm-hmm. it's the first uh, the first instance of him dealing with that. You know, he's he's been taking a bath by himself for many many years, and this is the the time that for some reason he lapsed in his, in his judgment. But uh, we're taking care of it. So right now we have a, a house full of fans added to our, us four people and two dogs. So yay! Well, it sounds sounds like fun. These are certainly interesting times, aren't they? Yes, they are. So I thought we'd uh, dive into. I mean, there's so much rich material here, and uh, I'm I'm a big fan. And um, I, I know that there are, you know, there are definitions that you give in the beginning of your book, Master Yourself. And I really feel like some of this is very appropriate to think of in terms of what's what we're going on now. And I thought we might uh, run through some of those terms and. Uh, you know, kind of use that as an entryway to, you know, talk about what's going on. Does that work for you? Sure, sure. So the dream of the planet, what does that mean? And, you know, what are we, how is that applied to what's going on now? Well, in our Toltec tradition, the main function of the mind is to, which is to perceive and to project. I'm constantly dreaming even when I'm awake and when I'm asleep. When I'm awake, I'm dreaming in the sense I'm perceiving light reflecting off surfaces around me. And I'm able to sense with my sense of touch, with my hearing, with my sight, through my nervous system that is able to capture all this information in different forms from light to sound texture. And I'm perceiving it. At the same time, I'm projecting just like where I am right now. I am perceiving a thought inside my own mind and I am projecting it using my voice to share that image in my mind. So right now I'm dreaming, even though I'm awake, the waking dream. When I'm asleep, I'm also dreaming, but it's not light that I'm perceiving. It's not texture that I'm perceiving. It's not sound that I'm perceiving. What am I perceiving? I have no idea, but I know I'm the constant point of perception when I'm awake and when I'm asleep, even though it's called lucid dream. So I'm constantly dreaming and my reason is this compass that allows me to tell the difference between up and down, left and right. It's the thing that allows me to tell the difference between the truth and my imagination. You know, right now I'm sitting in the sofa in this room and I can use my imagination to think of what my wife and kids are doing downstairs, trying to stay quiet as I'm doing this interview. And that's my imagination. But the truth is that right now I'm in this space and this is what I see. This is the individual dream. So when we come together, so just imagine my wife and I, we come together, we unite and create this union between us. We unite at that point. The main function of her mind is to dream. The main function of my mind is to dream. So when we create a relationship between she and I, we create the dream of us. Because in that union between she and I, you can say that physical union that we have, that we come together, that I can say that's 100% truth. But a part of me just went, hold your horses. That's only 50%. The other 50% is the meaning of the minds. And the mind wants to know what, what this means, what is that interest in. And we come together, we create a union. Her mind speaks to my mind and my mind speaks to hers. That's the dream of us. So the individual dream is the dream I have within myself. But as soon as I have a relationship with someone, in this case, my wife, we create the dream of us. Now multiply that by 7.5 billion people living in this world right now. Everyone is interacting mind to mind, perception to perception, and we're sharing with one another how we perceive things. And sometimes we think we're speaking the same language, English, but sometimes the words we use 
have different meaning because the society and community we grew up in has a different uh, meaning for that word, such as, for example, um, a word that's innocent here in the States, in the United States, isn't so innocent in the United Kingdom. You know, there are words that in our vernacular, they seem commonplace, innocent. We even named our daughters after a word, and that same word in the United Kingdom is just a terrible um, insult. It's oh my goodness. the same word, spelled the same well. You know, it's like, right. uh, I'm, I'm like, should I say it? Uh, um, the word is Fanny, F-A-N-N-Y. Uh-huh. Here in the States, it's an innocent term. Right. It refers to us, uh, 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 someone's butt, you could say, but it ref- it's also an innocent term that some people name their daughters Fanny. But in the United Kingdom, that same word is a derogatory vulgarity word. It's, it's mm. a very poisonous word that is spelled the same way, pronounced the same way, but you know, it's, it's interpreted differently. Mm-hmm. So it reminds me of what my father says. I'm responsible for what I say. I'm not responsible for what you hear. Mm. And the reason for that is because I grew up in an environment where that word is an innocent term. But mm-hmm. if you grew up in England and that word is not so innocent, when I say it, like for the word fanny pack, for example, mm-hmm. um, they're going to hear the other word and they'll think that I'm being such a horrible person because I'm saying such a vulgarity. Mm-hmm. In, what, in going back to what the dream of the planet is, we, the dream of the planet is constructed by agreements that we have with one another, uh, agreements that allows us to understand one another, mainly in language. It's a, it's a different way to say society, community, family. Uh, culture you know these are all different words that describe what we know as the dream of the planet basically the mind the meaning of the minds to create understanding to create laws to create language to create all these things that we know and as we've seen around the world they have a different color to it you know the the language we have within ourselves even within the United States you know you go to the south you go to the northeast you go to the pacific northwest even California, and we all seem like we're speaking English, but our, uh, our vernacular will sound slightly different to one another. Then you go to Canada, and the words over there, that's kind of seem like, that's a little fishy. And then you go to, to England or Wales or Ireland or Scotland or Australia, and then there are words over there that is commonplace and quite normal, but sounds very strange to us. And we're all speaking English. Mm-hmm. The same thing happens in Spanish, you know, in you know, it's, it's, uh, there's, uh, in Mexico, there are words that are also innocent, but you say that same word in Argentina, and you're going to get punched in the face. Even though it's innocent in Mexico, it's not so in Argentina. Right, so right. It's, it's, even within Colombia and Chile and all these places, it's a different meaning, even though we're all speaking Spanish. So the dream of the planet is constantly in flux. It's constantly changing because the way we interact with one another is constantly changing. An example of that is one of my favorite examples is the, word, the phrase, I live in a red state. In the 1950s, that meant that you lived in a socialist communist state and fighting wars, depending who you say that to. Mm-hmm. But fast forward to 2020, I live in a red state means they live in a state that's conservative Republican and fighting wars, depending who you say it to as well. Right. The phrase remained the same, but the meaning changed because society changed that much from 1950 to 2020 the same phrase but the meaning just changed so the dream of the planet is that meaning of the minds that allows us to create community society culture but yet it's constant influx because the way we perceive the world 
the way we interpret the world and the way we project it keeps changing and evolving. You know, what, what was cool once in the 1980s no longer is cool today. Right, right. Um, now, I guess I'm, I'm wondering in terms of the COVID-19 situation and uh -huh. the dream of the planet in, in that respect, can you talk a little bit about how that, the perception is? Well, it's, it's different because at this moment, it's, uh, we're dealing with fear. And right, right. Re re there's a difference between real fear and um, irrational fear. Real fear is having a real danger in front of you, like someone with a snake, a, a snake or someone with a gun in front of you, and we will re react with either uh, fight, freeze, or flee, a response that the body naturally happens when we are in fear the body secretes a hormone that allows us to survive a dangerous situation fight you know the hormone in the body the adrenaline allows us to survive those moments of fight uh to flee we'll run faster than we ever thought we could ever run and freeze is where all of a sudden we stay stagnant and we won't move especially when there's a snake you know you, you don't move like you don't want to make make any sudden movements there right well the body is able to project all the worst case scenarios as in the what ifs. So imagine uh, being in the movie theater and you watch the very first movie you ever were afraid to. For me, it was the Poltergeist, Blair Witch Project, the first time I saw it, because it wasn't so scary the second time I saw it. Oh, we're aligned on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the first time I saw it was very scary, and the second time it was not. But right. the thing is that my body went in that fight, flee, or, or uh a freeze mode and I felt fear even though I wasn't in danger the film was projected onto a movie screen and we feel a reaction to that even though we're not in any danger we're experiencing fear now the mind is more powerful than any movie projector I can project onto the world all the what-ifs and answer it with the worst case scenario and we will feel fear now in this time that we live in it's a combination of both. There is a real danger out there. You know, it's a uh, coronavirus has a one to 2% mortality rate, which means it also has a 98% uh, recovery rate. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, mm -hmm. if you can flip things in size, like it has a 98% recovery rate, if it makes you feel safe, but it does have a one to 2% mortality rate, which means the 98% what we're doing right now are taking care of the 2%, which is what community is. We take care of the people we love, the people we who are vulnerable, and it's and it's an, and it's a it's a quite a uh, bit of predicament because in take, in doing so, we're you know we're causing some other uh, consequences that we may feel the effects for many many uh, a long time to come. I, I can't say years; it may be years, it may be just weeks. But we are in a situation when there is a real threat out there. But all the what ifs that the mind creates creates more fear. So. In that, in that moment, we're living in a time where there's a lot of information and misinformation out there that is triggering our sense of fight, free, uh, freeze, or flee. Awesome. And Let me uh, just stop you there. We'll get picked right back up on this after the break. Thank you so much. We'll be right back on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. Practical spirituality. Positive messages. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world.
Welcome back to a slightly off-kilter look at spirituality. This is Big Universe with Jim Lefter and Reverend Raymond Anderson. So before we took the break, uh, this is Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. Um, you were talking about how fear affects us and how we're, you know, in this situation. Mm-hmm. And right now we look, we know basically what we talked about is a combination of real fear and irrational fear, oral fear all intermingling so at this moment we can let that fear creep in we know we'll we'll get the guns we'll uh, uh, we'll hoard a lot of food and we'll uh, we'll fear we'll live in fear of everything that happens or we can live in uh compassion which is really the the, the medication towards fear you know compassion and love we see that we're taking care of one another you know even though we're staying in our home in that simple gesture, we're actually helping someone else. You know, I live in a neighborhood where I'm next to a Del Webb community and I'm surrounded by a lot of seniors, you know, and I am fairly aware when I go for a walk uh, that I'm surrounded by people who will be exposed. If they get exposed to this, it may not be so good for them. So I will take all the little precautions and build all those things to live around them. That's, I know who my actions are affecting, especially if my father comes out and visit, which he's known to do, you know, he is definitely susceptible. So the actions of awareness is, is key. You know, so it's being awareness, how this virus is spreading, uh, being aware of what it's, uh, what habits I need to let go of and what habits to, to continue. It's, it's the thing that allows us to help, you know, so that's, you can flip the switch we can either be the victim of what's happening in this world right now or we can be a contributing factor like i said before the 98 percent of the recovery rate will take care of the two percent the ones or two percent that are susceptible to this and mm-hmm. from that point of view compassion heals compassion is this thing that makes us go out there and help you know we we live in these kind of times and like gandalf told uh, told the uh, proto you know it is our time. This is our time. Then we we have. What are we going to do with this opportunity? You know, if like when Frodo told him, like I wish we didn't live in such times. I'm going off memory, so I'm kind of butchering. Yeah, that's this. fine. But, it's perfect. We're geeks, yeah. so we love this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, but uh, uh, he said, like I wish we didn't have to live in such times. And Gandalf responds, "So do I, and many other people as well." But this is our time, and what we what are we going to do with this? So this is what we're going to do. We're, we're going to help each other out in the most basic way we can stay in our homes for the moment and see what happens. Of course, for a lot of us, this is a luxury. You know, there are people out there who are, are struggling. You know, there, there are people out there who, you know, they were living paycheck to paycheck and if they, they were, if they were that lucky. And now this is really going to put a, a huge damper on their stress. So, th- so there's a different level of stress that is happening. There's the viral, uh, uh, fear that we have of the, of, of the virus itself, but also the ramifications of it, that there's people out there who feel that staying at home is a luxury and the longer they stay at home, it, they feel, they will feel the stress and the pressure. So a lot of the, the things are going out there, you know, to help each other out is, is exactly that. So anyways, there's programs out there that are, you know, loans and things like that that are able to, if you apply for them, it's based, this is based on what I've read, you can actually postpone your payments and that can alleviate some of that pressure. But, you know, that for that, it's going to be different for everyone's case. So 
I'm saying this just to keep that in mind uh, and have that compassion for the people around us. It's, 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 a, it's a very interesting time that is not so simple. It's a very complex thing because we are all in different situations. So the awareness comes and knowing that where, we're, where we stand and helping ourselves out and that also allows us to help other people because it allows us to be in a place where we're safe and we're healthy and we're able to help those who are in need. So it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's definitely an interesting time because it's, it's as complex as humanity is complex. Absolutely. Thank you for that. That's very insightful. Now, you know, it seems to me that, you know, very important in your, in your, in your books and in your uh, philosophy that we really distinguish between some other, some other terms. And that is the differences between the narrator, the ally and the parasite. And it mm -hmm. seems like this is a ripe time to really look into that and, and talk about that a little bit as we, you know, as we're more isolated and that sort of thing. And, you know, have some insights to our thoughts, perhaps. What is the narrator and how, how does that differ? Sure. Well, it's, it's all basically the same voice. If I'm the voice that's talking inside my own mind, who's listening? I am. If I'm the one who's listening, who's talking inside my own mind when I'm thinking? I am. It's a question my father used to pose to me constantly during my apprenticeship to become aware of that interaction between me and me. If this interaction between my mind and my heart, or my left hemisphere, right hemisphere, whichever, uh, uh, whichever way you see it, if that relationship is in harmony, then my relationship with everyone else is in harmony. But if that relationship is in disharmony, then my relationship with everyone else is in disharmony. So the way I became aware of the narrator is like, one day I was watching a football game at home back in 2000, 1999 actually, 1999. And this is the days where, you know, we used to have the old sound system and the stereos and they were a part of the whole thing. Well, I didn't really know how to use it. So I, one day I turned it on and I was watching the game, but I have no sound because I didn't know how to turn it on. <laughs> right. So I watched the game as if there was, I was there. So my dad, when my dad tells me whenever something goes kind of weird, when life throws you a curveball, life is going to teach you a lesson. So pay attention. So I imagine that, all right, Let's just watch the game as if I have never seen this game before, and I'll watch it. So little by little, I started paying attention to the game, and the only thing that existed was, was what was on the screen. You know, it was just the play itself. Then my brother comes in, and he's younger than me. He's 10 years younger than me, which means he knows how to use technology. Comes <laughs> in, turns it all around, and whoa, sound. And all of a sudden, there's two narrators describing everything I'm seeing, whereas before I had a comment a direct communication, a direct link with what's happening on the field with the video. You know, that's what's happening on the screen. That's all that's happening. That's, that's it. I'm watching that game unfold that way. Then we have two narrators that this are describing what I'm seeing, and then they're describing things that are happening outside, like a quarterback that's holding out on something, and that he's, he's not even playing because he's holding out or something, or a player like that. And then... That takes over. I'm, paying, I'm watching the game not directly to what's happening on the screen. Once in a while, a big play will come in and you, go, you get excited. But the, my attention was focused or redirected by the narrators that are the two uh, people who are talking, in the, the commentators. Then the game ends, and there's the after show, and then there's four or five 
commentators now talking all about describing what happened as if I wasn't there. I'm trusting their judgment because they know better than me. Right. And, and I realized that all of a sudden the experience I just had about this game got warped or is transitioned to their perception and over, superimposed that one over my own perception. Then I turn off the TV, I'm walking around, and then I notice that I'm doing the same thing with everything I'm doing. I'm describing this. What does it mean when she holds my hand? What does it mean with that little gesture? And I'm doing the same thing. I'm commenting on everything I do. So that's the narrator. The narrator is the, the, the voice inside my mind that's describing everything in my life. Now, uh -huh. yeah. the parasite, because it goes into that. The parasite is what my father calls the judge and the victim, the imposing and subjugation of myself. The victim to me is basically the moment where I've become domesticated by my own mind. You know, someone domesticated me, someone judged me, someone conditioned me to their point of view and I believed it. Kind of like the, the phrase that Eleanor Roosevelt says, no one can make me feel inferior without my consent. And how do we give consent? By believing it, by saying yes to it. So someone domesticated us, and at one point, they're going to stop domesticating us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But here's the thing. We continue to domesticate ourselves with, with that that was said by continuing to believe it. So at one point, my mind becomes my active domesticator by continuing to believe the conditions that subjugated my will, that subjugated my love, that subjugated me. And I continue to apply it in my own life. My domesticator is no longer there. They've been gone for many, many years. But that judgment is still there. And that's when my, the narrator becomes, or you could say the mind becomes, my parasite, my active domesticator, my judge, and I'm its victim because I continue to believe it, that imposing a subjugation that is happening in the mind. The ally, you could say we all reach a point where we have an aha moment, a moment of clarity where we become aware of what we do. You see, a moment of clarity without any action is just a thought that passes in the wind. But a moment of clarity that's followed by action becomes a pivotal moment in our life. So we have an aha moment of what we've created that we've continued to believe in our condition. And the best way we let go of a condition is to forgive ourselves for ever saying yes to it in the first place. Hmm. That's the best way to let go of conditional love, to forgive ourselves for ever saying yes to it in the first place. Because yes, it was them who domesticated us ever so long ago, that ex-girlfriend, that friend, that, that parent, that society, whatever. Oh, there's a lot of domesticators out there that molded than shaped us. But they stopped domesticating us a long time ago. But we've continued to use their voice to go against us ever since. It's been me. I'm repeating it myself in their voice, but it's been me. So I forgive myself. I forgive them for domesticating me. They are, were only doing what they knew what to do. But I'm the one who didn't know, and I'm continuing to say it, so I forgive myself. You can say this is the work we do to become aware of our triggers, to become aware of our conditions, and basically unlearn them. Like my brother Jose says, in the Totec tradition, there's nothing to learn, only to unlearn. And the way we unlearn that is to become aware of it and 
to switch that yes into a no. I no longer believe it. At that moment, you realize that my parasite, that active domesticator in my mind, was only domesticating me because I was giving it that work. I was assigning it the job of active domesticator. So mind, forgive me. Narrator, forgive me. I've been using your words to go against me for all these years. Can you be my ally? Hmm. At that moment, it's basically I am beginning to clean the conditions that are in my mind. And those conditions is what shape us to be what we are. We, we will corrupt religion. We will corrupt spirituality. We will corrupt politics. We will corrupt music. We'll corrupt all these things because I have to be right and you have to be wrong. And when I'm right, I'm worthy of the punishment. I'm worthy of the reward. And if I'm wrong, I'm worthy of the punishment. That's why a lot of people fight to be right. Because if they're right, they're righteous and they will stand hold of their beliefs or conditions in this place. Mm-hmm. That's one of the problems that creates the nightmare in our dream of the planet. Right. The conflict. Right. But if we bring that peace inside within us and bring back harmony, and you can say that, you can see that the, the, the this harmony that existed in the, in, in, within me before was I was continuing to impose conditions onto myself and the mind was subjugating the heart, you can say, just to use that, uh, that image. If we are able to heal that relationship by healing the mind, by healing the heart, give ourselves the permission to heal, then that redemption of the mind allows it to become the ally once again, the instrument that allows me to navigate the world, the instrument that allows me to interact with other people, the instrument that allows me to help. You can say is what we talked about before about the coronavirus. We can let fear dictate us and they'll create a lot of disharmony or we allow compassion to come in and that will allow us to heal and create community. So that's, I can't, I can't give what I do not have. So it starts with me. It starts with healing my own relationship with my own self, letting go of conditions, letting go of all those beliefs that created this harmony with other people because it created this harmony within me. So at that point, that's what the narrator, the parasite, and the ally are. So so the idea is that we take a moment when we're having a conversation or in a situation and we, we ask those questions and we look at, you know, what is best served? Um, you know, what, where am I coming from with this? Am I being the ally or a parasite? And, and we, we make that choice as we deal with people. Is that correct? Yes. Like, for example, right now, it's like we talk about compassion in these times. All right. If we're so used to domestication, we'll, we'll say, well, I have to be a righteous person. I will be uh, compassionate. At that point, we corrupted it. We, like, it's like we, we now we're using that, what we call compassion, and to an instrument of domestication. And I have to live up to that image. At that point, I have to. And that's the thing about domestication. It'll corrupt the most beautiful thing. It'll turn the four agreements into the four conditions. It's the way we corrupt it. So the telltale sign that we use the four agreements as an instrument of domestication is judging ourselves for taking things personal, judging ourselves for making an assumption, judging ourselves for taking things personally, and all the rest of it. At that moment, that's a telltale sign that we've corrupted the four agreements and used it as the four conditions. If we see how that happens with the four agreements, we can apply it through all the beautiful teachings that are out there, including what I just said about compassion. We corrupt it. So at that point, we ask ourselves, 
am I doing this because I have to, or am I doing it because I want to? There's mm -hmm. a difference. Yes. I have to, we can already hear domestication all over it. I have to live up to this image. But if I realize that I'm doing it because this is something I want to do, it's my expression, my passion, my desire. And at that point, I'm not trying to live up to an image or pretending to be something I am not, which is the telltale sign that I'm doing. I'm, I have conditional love for myself. But I'm doing it because this is something that nurtures me. This is something that I want to share. Mm -hmm. So if we can tell that difference within ourselves, is I'm doing it because I want to, because I have to live up to an image. I'm saying these things. I'm talking to these things. Or am I doing these things because this is what I want to, to do? Mm -hmm. And that's really the difference. If we can tell that apart, we can apply it to many other things in our life and we can begin to bring that harmony little by little as we discover the triggers in our life that make us uh, subjugate ourselves to our domestication. That's such a, it's such a key point. And I, I wonder if you have any thoughts about helping people with that discernment piece. I feel like that's well, where we always get tripped up between the do I have to or do I want to really being able to feel into that question. Um, yeah. What would you say about that? Well, you, you, the question itself has the solution, feeling. Our emotional body is real, meaning the, the things that we, the emotions we have are real because we're experiencing them. What may trigger them may not be real. So I like to use my, my emotional body like an instrument of awareness, kind of like a car alarm. If you turn on the car alarm in your car and someone touches the car, it'll go beep, 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 allowing us to let us know that <laughs> yeah, hey, something's sure. happening. <laughs> and other so noises. <laughs> exactly. So let's imagine our emotional reactions in the same way like a car. When we have an emotional reaction that makes us feel anger, sadness, and all these other emotions that doesn't make us feel good, that's the car alarm, that's the awareness to let us know that a belief has been triggered. Anger is, uh, has a trigger. Sadness has a trigger. Uh, all these things. Now, mind you, I have a friend who did all this work for many, many years, and she got to the point where I've cleaned so much. What can I, else could it be? She, she decided to go to a doctor finally, and she discovered that she had Lyme's disease. Hmm. So sometimes it could be that there is something like Lyme's disease in your body that's that's triggering emotional reactions that are not really based on any truth, but we still feel the emotions. It could be a, a mineral depletion in the body, not enough GABA, not enough whatever and in the body. There's a deficiency in vitamin B or something, and that makes us feel bad, kind of like not having our morning coffee or not having our, our breakfast will make us feel kind of groggy. You know, my, 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 <laughs> that's my, true. Gotta have so, my morning coffee. Yes. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So our emotions are, 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 are even anger is just an instrument that allows us feel that we're not feeling good. So sometimes they're triggered by beliefs and conditions, our domesticated point of view in this case, the example I gave is the four conditions. I judge myself for not living up to the image of not taking things personal. If we think that and that we feel that disappointment in ourselves, that's, that's an awareness right there. That's, that emotion will allow us to know, all right, something is off there. That, that disappointment in ourselves or that letdown, well, why do we let ourselves down? What are we using to feel that? To anger, you know, my, my son's psychiatrist, my son has an autism, like I said before, 
he uh, he described it that he describes anger as an as a as an alarm of not feeling good. It's just a symptom of not feeling good. Kind of like we said before, the coffee and the breakfast. We we get groggy. We get a little bit short tempered with people because we're not feeling good. Kind of like at the beginning stages of getting the flu or a cold, we're not feeling so good. So our patients with people's questions sometimes are like, mm, you know, or, or, you know, my wife will say, what kind of coffee do you want today? I don't want that kind of, that kind of thing. You know? So it's, 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 if you pay attention to those emotional reactions and you're willing to see what triggered it, what's the root of its trigger, then you become aware of yourself. Now, you mentioned in your relationship book something that I think is important. You talk about social media being a trigger for a lot of us these days. Yeah. yeah and I, I assume you can apply these same things to things that happen on social media. Oh, yeah. Especially, especially on, on neighbor, the Neighbor app. It, I, I, when I was writing the book, I was, I was talking about you know, the Facebook and, and Twitter and that kind of thing. But neighbor, the Neighbor app, I think the neighborhood, neighbor, whatever, where all neighbors are talking – my, my wow it's like that's 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 a whole new level it's like <laughs> wow you know is, is, am i saying the app right like what is what is it called is a it, i don't know is, i'm not i'm not young yeah, i think it is, it's, it's i think you're talking about neighborhood yeah and i'm thinking about even now in this time when we're all in our homes uh-huh. how more active we are in in these social presences, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and how easily we can be triggered or fly right off the handle at something we see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because right now we we have a little bit of what we know as cabin fever. You know, people are asking me how am I handling this. I'm like, I'm just extended winter. You know, this this is we're we're, we're at the end of winters. So we're just extending it a bit more, even though the weather's good outside. But that in itself, that being in the cabin fever, kind of does something to the body especially for someone who is not used to it we're a little bit used to it because we just went through winter but to extend it a bit more it's like so to someone who's not used to it you, you go a little like you go a little batty sometimes then you get into social media and you in there more you will find your triggers you'll you'll, you'll find your political fi- uh, uh, triggers you'll find your religious triggers spiritual triggers your your parental triggers your neighborhood triggers man you'll find everything and it's crazy because it to me those those social media is basically what we talked about at the beginning of the show is the dream of the planet you know it's we're talking mind to mind and we're not physically there because sometimes for example if you ever gotten into an argument through text messaging you you'll read things and interpret things as you've known them. Going back to the whole uh, fanny pack story and all that kind of thing. We don't know what, how they meant it because we're not seeing the body language that goes with it. Usually That's when so we're, true. Usually and when even we're talking, the emojis don't even, <laughs> that we no, try no, to no, add emojis, in to show our emotions make it worse, I think sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes the emojis have helped a little bit, but you know, we, we're still not used to it. Now, for example, here's an example. Did you know that putting a period at the end of a sentence texting means that you're mad? I did not know that. I, I just discovered this in the past year. And apparently <laughs> in texting, it's basically, it's shorthand. Shorthand in texting because sometimes you're not going to write the, old, the whole phrase. Us who are a little older, we, 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 we go for that all the way we learn. We full sentence, grammars, semicolons, commas, and punctuation marks. Well, that punctuation mark at the end, that period, 
has become means that you are short with someone. I want it stat, I want it now, and I'm frustrated. Grr. Wow. And to, to a millennial, that's what that, uh, to a millennial that's uh, really engaged with text messaging, someone will say, why are you so mad all the time? I'm like, what do you mean? You're putting periods <laughs> at the end of it. Like you, you, you sound like you're mad at me because it's, it's like, you know how we put exclamation points to, make, to say it out loud? Sometimes the punctuation more that very, very simple is louder than all those exclamation marks. So in that conversation, in, in that in, interaction, getting to know what it means to us, especially texting one another or social media, we, we think we're all playing under the same rules, but we're not. It means something different to all of us. I'm, res I'm responsible for the integrity and clarity of what I say, but I'm not responsible for what you hear. Because for me, when I put a period at the end of a sentence, to me, it's just proper grammar. But you might hear it as, you, I'm being mad at you. And once again, we don't see the physical gestures, the, the, the expressions that we have. And you can see that we're not being that angry. But, or not angry at all, actually. But someone who knows what that period means, and they think that everyone else knows, and they should know because we text messages all the time, then you have the problem. That's that's interesting. And, yeah, yeah. Making the assumption that everyone uses the same language that we use, including the same text message rules. Wow. So. Well, that's Donnie, an example of that. Yeah, <laughs> Jim and Don I just really got enlightened, and I, I can yes. see us changing our texting. From Absolutely. Here on out. Well, Don <laughs> Miguel, it has been an absolute pleasure. There's so much more I would love to talk about, and I hope that uh, at some point we will be able to bring you back on. Oh, thank you so much, Jim. I really appreciate you having me on the show. Thank you, Sarah, so much. I, I really had fun. I do look forward to being on the show again. To find out more about Don Miguel Ruiz Jr., make sure you check out his website, miguelruizjr.com, and take a look at his books, The Seven Secrets to Healthy, Happy Relationships and the Mastery of Self, among many others. For more great information about Sarah Bowen, go to www.spiritual-rebel.com. And I've got premium video courses on my website at youthrivehere.com. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk with you next time on Big Universe. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. We spend a third of our lives sleeping and dreaming, yet most of us have no idea what goes on during that time. I'm Kelly Sullivan Walden, and as a dream expert and best-selling author, I'm here to empower you to mine the gold from your nighttime dreams. Join me on the Kelly Sullivan Walden Show, part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again, don't take your dreams lying down.